Hey guys, this is the first ever extra episode of Red Pages Podcast. Uh, Ed Del Castillo was really, really generous with his time and spoke to us about a whole bunch of different things for about five hours in total, which we then cut down to the two-hour podcast that you heard earlier. Uh, we wanted to take some of the things that we talked about and let you listen to it. So this is sort of disconnected. And it's going to jump around a lot, but these are the highlights of that conversation. Enjoy. So, do I infer from from the 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 body of conversation that we've had that, by and large, you guys are a part of a group that, for whom graphics is extra, and that that the core content is not intrinsically valuable, but via the graphics? I would say that that is true for me, but I also, like, one of, I, I, on, on my, on the, I guess not on my, on, on the office wall, the Red Pages office, um, where, where this podcast is headquartered, <laughs> <laughs> there is a scroll, wall scroll of, uh, the final boss from Final Fantasy VI, okay. which is Kefka's, like, huge Dante's Inferno tower. And it's there simply because that is a super impressive sprite that clearly an artist went to a huge amount of work to draw by hand, pixel by pixel, right. on the Super Nintendo. And it's incredibly detailed, and it's v- if, you, if you are like me, and you like really impressive pixel art and also literature, because each part of it corresponds to a piece of Dante's Inferno, and you also like video games then this is the picture for you. Okay. So I think, I think that... But again, uh, what seems to uh, be yeah. there is the literary... Again, I would say that the value of that came in it, in it manifesting a piece of literature, as opposed well, to... Well, I would say that's a third of it, yeah. At least a third of that value. I feel like it... I, I like it a lot, personally, because it's a combination of a lot of different things that I appreciate. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, all... Uh, this, this podcast actually originated because I met Gord through, uh, Kingdom of Loathing, which we mentioned earlier in relation to Mr. Card Game, which is stick figures <laughs> for graphics. And it's one of the smartest games on the internet. Yeah. And the guys who read it are awesome, and I've known those guys for, geez, like, eight years now. Um, but it's all, all of the content is just a wall of text that you read. <laughs> So graphics, graphics are nice, but maybe not uh, always necessary. Right. I think you can make a, a compelling game experience without graphics, and like that's where tabletop games that were, true. yeah, that still are. Do you think that that is a surging trend in game players? Do you think game players are fatigued on graphics, or do you think that um, that's just you guys and your and a sect of gaming? Huh. Does that, does somebody else, somebody else should feel free to jump I, in. I, I, I feel like this, it's, uh, I don't know. It, I know uh, for me personally, it's just, uh, uh, gameplay really trumps everything, I guess, and there's a lot of people who think similarly, but I mean, uh, the way the game is, uh, presented to you is still important to some extent, um, and it does lead to other things happening, like the, uh, resurgence of, a very, uh, retro style, uh, games. Um, that got very popular with like uh, Terry Kavanaugh. Um, right. No, I think that 
that's I think that's an interesting question because in the game industry today we're seeing and I think we've talked about this a little bit on other podcasts but we're we're sort of seeing the vanishing middle where on one end of the spectrum you have the indies and on the other end you have the big budget guys and that are making the AAA titles and sort of these mid-level players are disappearing they're they're finding that they're going out of business because they're not sustainable for whatever reason I have an and, interesting story about that. Okay. Um, Whenever you're I'll, done. You, okay. And so, in addition to that, we see that graphics are not enhancing at the rate that they were. Mm-hmm. Like, there is, the, the, the curve is not as dramatic as it was from, you know, from the Super Nintendo to the N- Nintendo 64 to the PlayStation 2. There's not as noticeable a difference for most consumers mm-hmm. between seven, you know, 720p and 1080p. Right. Mm. So I feel like we're reaching a point where graphics are just going to be the way they are. Uh, I feel like and the next like advancement's going to be a step sideways. Right. Like uh, virtual reality, for example. Maybe. And I also think that because... There's that vanishing metal and the the huge explosion of the indie dev space. Mm. That sort of what happened to the music market in the past fifteen twenty years or more really is that whereas in the fifties and the sixties you had the top twenty and everybody was listening to the same music or even I guess with the Super Nintendo where you know if you owned a Super Nintendo you probably had you know, Super Mario World. You, a, a lot of pe- people, yes, links, uh, link to the past, maybe at Super Metroid. There's such a diversification of what's available that there is a fracturing of sort of what people play in the same way that there is, was a fracturing of what people listen to. You can't, it's very difficult to find two people today that listen to the exact same music in terms of just, if you were to just pick two people, uh, off the street. And I'm worried. I, I think worried is too strong a word. I am, I'm concerned that that is maybe where games are going. That people, because games are being easy, are becoming more and more easy to make, there's been a commoditization of the tools of production that gaming communities are going to splinter in, into smaller and smaller groups that only want to play the very specific type of game that they like. So that's, I guess that's my answer to the question. Uh, what do I think about? <laughs> that's deep. Um, yeah, uh, this is, I guess, like, I do a lot of, I, I, I do a lot of thinking about the direction of the industry, so. Cause it, what's interesting about that is, you know, I, I, I clearly grew up in a, in a focal decade a little bit earlier than you guys, and I saw the same thing happen with board games and paper games before they mm-hmm. went out and comic books where mm-hmm. exactly the same thing happened. You know, they, they went from being, um, I don't know, they went from being, they're, they're all over the place, or they're, they're very homogenized to lifestyle apps, you know, where, okay, I'm going to pick Dungeons & Dragons, or I'm going to pick Traveler, or I'm going to pick Top Secret, or I'm going to pick, you know, this game, and I am now going to only play that, and I'm actually going to shutter out my, my feelers for new games, and I am going to focus on buying everything that Pathfinder prints 
and playing Pathfinder. And I don't want to learn a new system because I've invested too much in this system. And so what, you know, when, when, as you were wrapping up what you were saying, it kind of, it left me feeling like if he's right, then we're seeing the evolution of video games or let's call them video brands moving into a lifestyle app, mm-hmm. like where I'm going to just invest in Assassin's Creed and everything Assassin's Creed. And you're already kind of seeing that with the Call of Duty fans. You know, it's like there is a right. definitely right. a type of fan who's like, I buy Call of Duty. That's what I buy. Right. Or, or right. maybe the sports. Or I buy Battlefield, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And Although the latest Call of Duty didn't do so well, right? So maybe that's not going the way that I think it is. <laughs> I mean, I think but that's to your point in the beginning, where I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right about the graphics kind of, you know, bending. It's not a, it's not a, a an astronomic arc anymore. That that arc is becoming asymptotic to a certain point. And, you know, the, the new consoles, what are they doing? They're selling exactly the same way they sold the other ones. Hey, great graphics, more performance. But that graphics mm-hmm. and performance is only apparent to five percent of their gameplay right and like i don't i don't own an xbox one or a ps4 i do own a wii u because apparently i'm an idiot (laughs) (laughs) but i bought that like but i bought that because i know that nintendo like this is just what you're talking about like i know nintendo will produce the sort of games that i want to play right and i trust them to produce a new zelda game or to produce a new super smash brothers game and, the, and the, everybody who bought a, a Wii or a Wii U was in that camp. Right. They were they were Nintendo files. They said, "I want what Nintendo makes." Right. Or you know, I want. And I guess this this became the PS3 after the Wii sort of shut down in terms of good content in the later years of its life. But like, I want JRPGs. Right. And I'm gonna get that on the DS, and I'm gonna get that on I guess later the PS3. Or or now you can you can. Uh get them there's a there's an app on ios it's called like gba for ios right <laughs> okay i can't talk about that <laughs> no you yeah we 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 know about that okay. there's there i mean like i'd say we uh, what what's our stance like we're we're against piracy but we acknowledge that it exists yeah like we don't have a problem talking about it so 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 i'll i'll give you a a, a weird gray slice on piracy mm-hmm. and that is uh, so I went and got GBA for iOS. Now, to be right. fair, I also had a, a GBA, and I had a lot of games for it. And I have actually re-downloaded, because I don't want to carry an extra device, I re-downloaded, you know, the tactical games like Advance Wars, Advance Wars 2, uh, uh, Yggdras Union, you know, th- things that I really enjoyed playing, and have the cartridge for it. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting, because when you do it, they go, by downloading this app, you acknowledge that you have this cartridge and that you are not pirating. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I know, right. I know, I know the reality, but there is a, I found it wonderful that I could replay these games again without having to carry an extra set of adapters, an extra G, you know, the GBA and cartridges that got lost, scuffed or damaged, you know, that suddenly in my phone, I was able to re-experience, you know, Yggdras Union, Advance Wars 2, uh, Rebel Star Tactical Command, which was one another one of my favorites. Um, I'm a big, like, turn-based action point guy, you know, strategy player. So, I don't know. I mean, I know it's a great, we could have, we could probably have the argument all night. Right. Yeah. 
But I did um, give Nintendo money. Sometimes that's the only way to right. get a hold well, of something. Way, like, that, uh, that used to be awesome. way more true before um, Nintendo started re-releasing all their games on the virtual console. At a console. very slow rate. At a very, very slow, slow rate, rate, but they're still... Too slow. Yeah. And it's really interesting, I guess... Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll bring in some of my real world work, uh, stuff that I'm doing right now, which is, uh, uh, internet policy and copyright stuff. Um, and that there, there really isn't like a solid definition for piracy because what, what is piracy? Is it sort of, uh, a freedom of speech argument? Is it a theft? But you're not actually taking anything, you're making a copy of it. Mm. Is it yeah there there are so there are at least five different ways that you can define piracy and a lot of them sort of shake down to what's a like the same question like what's a weed well it's whatever we don't want <laughs> right have you ever seen Kirby Ferguson's work on everything is a remix um I don't think so oh uh, you got it you gotta go everything is a remix dot info he basically has a series of documentaries like showing how the creative process is inherently duplication oriented. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting take on copyright law. Like his argument at the end of the day becomes that copyright law and, and, and patent law and all this stuff isn't bad. It's just super outdated. And right now it's not helping anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And like also a lot of like the, a lot of the basis of creativity is based on what today would be considered piracy. I mean, if you look at Disney, Disney is the world, <laughs> Disney are the world's biggest pirates. Right, right. How much of the, how much of their content is original? Right. That's uh, from fairy tales. How much of like the Lion King? The Lion King was lifted from a Japanese cartoon yes. that they claimed that they never right, saw. Right. <laughs> well, Star Wars. Nolan is... Bushnell, you know, Nolan Bushnell has mm. been quoted as saying, you know, we we stand on the shoulders of our competitors. I mean, I've had conversations with people at the biggest companies who behind who ne- shall be nameless and behind closed doors will freely admit to taking the very best ideas and trying to employ them in their games. I mean, I, I often think that maybe we should be more like the fashion business, where right. there's no copyrights and trademarks in the fashion business other than the, than the, the name, other than the brand name. So you, you see a Christian Dior dress, you can make exactly a duplicate of that Christian Dior dress. You just can't put Christian Dior on it. Right. And that seems to work for them. Yeah, I mean, that's why there's off-brand, you know, purses, off-brand shoes, whatever. And, people, but it also people. stimulates, like, look what happened when Disney, oh, look, 50 years is coming up. Let's just extend copyright law to 75 <laughs> years because we don't want to give up Mickey. You know? It's right. Like, so, yeah. Sorry. Mm. I was, let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, no. So, <laughs> so I guess something something that some that, that uh, one of the guys who runs Kingdom of Loading, that uh, he, he has some vocal opinions also on copyright. Boy, does he. And he was in a yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but his opinions and my opinions are the same, so whatever. Um, but uh, he was uh, he was in an argument with um, oh I think it was uh, it was Steve Gaynor from uh, the Fulbright Company who made uh, Gone Home. I think that's who he was uh, discussing this with, and um, he was uh, Steve was saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna just presume it was Steve. If it wasn't, it was one of the guys from Idle Thumbs. Which, if you don't know what Idle Thumbs guys uh, listen to, and you, you should listen to it because it's also a good podcast. Um, but they were saying like, it's a shame that we don't have things like H.P. Lovecraft or like uh, Sherlock Holmes anymore, because Disney basically is 
taken characters and now that's a thing that somebody owns. So it's not just, you know, you can't write a story and sell it about Mickey Mouse the way you can write a story about Sherlock Holmes and sell it. And Zach's point was, that doesn't matter. Somebody somebody wrote Twilight fan fiction and changed all the names of the characters and sold it as Fifty Shades of Grey. And, like, that was fine. The names of, like, the name of the character and the identity of the character are not the same thing. And we can use those ideas in new works of media and new properties and just call it something different. And that's not going to change the fundamental aspect of what it is. So I, I, I think I, that, that is, that is a sort of a stance that I have that I think that maybe copyright isn't as destructive as it, a lot of people claim, but it's not the best situation. Well, and this is what I was saying earlier. It's such a it's such a dated law that it's easy to circumnavigate for anybody who wants to. Right. Yeah. All right. So that's what we've been playing this week, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Lots uh, of room for editing. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Nah, uh, this not. is all. This is all good stuff. <laughs> so I know I I uh, I guess my my first stra- RTS was Battle Realms, as I mentioned before the official show started. Um, and it was given to me as a gift, and uh, it was my favorite RTS for most of the time I played video games. It is now number two, oh. um, <laughs> in terms of not in ter- uh, not necessarily in terms of multiplayer, but I think that the the Wings of Liberty StarCraft II campaign I liked better because it pushed the RTS and like what it it really challenged in a lot of ways what you can do in an RTS engine and so like I don't know I don't know have you have you played it at all I'm going to now <laughs> so not not the expansion I felt like the the heart of the swarm expansion did not do this but I felt like in every single mission of the StarCraft 2 Terran campaign you were doing something different that was not something you would necessarily think you would do in an RTS mission which was which is usually build up a base, wipe out the enemy right. base. But the missions were things like, okay, there are there are two different train tracks, one on the top of the map and one on the bottom of the map. Every three minutes a train goes by. You have to stop this many trains without letting this many trains successfully get past. And each train is more heavily fortified than the last train. Love it. Like that was that like that's the one that stay, that sticks out the most for me. See, and that's and so and for that for that mission you get a special unit that can attack and move at the same time so you can keep up with the train. See, and that's the power of bespoke content. I mean, right. you know, when you look at a movie, you don't mm-hmm. you don't see the same fight scene two times. You don't no. ever see any fight scene two times, right? It's always different. It's you even even if you go down to you know action movie porn, so to speak, like a Steven Seagal movie, where it's literally like. Thinly veiled plot, you know, thin plot to get you to the next fight scene and thin plot to get you to the next fight scene. Um, the fight scenes are all very different. Like if Steven Seagal fights barehanded in one scene, you rarely, if ever, see him fight barehanded again. It's like he got he has a knife or he has a broken pool cue or he has, or he has know, a, a sword. Right. Exactly. Seen, uh, or he has throwing up. knives, you know, or, but there's always a different matchup. And even if he has the same weapon. It's against a different matchup. Like, okay, barehanded versus knife, barehanded versus gun, 
you know, so that's, that's the power of bespoke content is that repetition. It's like, it's like comedy. A joke is never funny twice. The same combat isn't either, you know? Right. And, and so right. the more they, you do that, the more powerful it can be. So you, you, right. okay. Wings of Liberty. You got it. Fine. That was, that was why I thought wings of like, like there, there was a mission where your goal was not to kill anything, but it was just collect this much, this many resources, right. collect these many minerals. But the catch was all of the minerals were on, like your base was up on high ground and your, and the minerals were all on low ground. And every 45 seconds, all of the low ground would be flooded with lava and kill everything down there. So yeah. you had to manage building and spending so you would have enough dudes to gather because there were not enough minerals in your nearby base right. to achieve the mission success. And you had to drop and pick up and drop and pick up. Right. And drop. Yep. Right. And also there were Zerg that were constantly attacking you. So you still had to build an army to defend yourself. Right. Was another, I'm trying to think of what, what some other good, there was a, there were a lot of uh, those th- ones where you have a single character yeah, and you're, you're doing, you're, you're sort of playing that character. There's the one where you're the Hyperion. Oh yeah. That was in the expansion. Yeah. They made like a, they made like a, uh, and not at all at RTS in the expansion one mission where you played as a spaceship and did like an asteroids navigation sequence. Huh. Yeah. But um, hmm. the, the, se- the expansion the expansion was much more like uh, like Warcraft three. Right. It was focused around having a hero. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, with Kerrigan in a way that the Terran campaign didn't have anything like that. True story. I'm really um, interested. Well, no, no. The first, uh, the first uh, mission in the first campaign in which uh, you were uh, Jimmy Rayner's uh, saving right, people. Right, but you didn't. Right, but you didn't have you, your character didn't gain experience and level up. That's true. In yeah. the same way that Kerrigan did, and I'm really, really curious about what they're going to do with the third one because they said that they don't want it to be a traditional RTS game. They want it to be about like the the politics between different Protoss factions and gaining. Allies from one faction will alienate another and try to unite the entire Protoss clan, like splintering faction. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm okay. I want to see that. Right. Well, there's, there's a, you know, I've always said, you know, Diablo is just an RTS that you're playing with one character. And yeah. Well, that, that, mm. If you get more people, you've got a, you've got an army. Right. And if you look, if you look at it from a scale and perspective kind of point of view, you can go both directions with an RTS. You can go down to a single unit and, and really deeply invest in their inventory and deeply invest in their progression. But you can also zoom out to a, to an empiric level, you know, to an empire's level where you, you can go, you're having those battles, but those battles are, in, are impacting a larger economy, which is impacting a larger terrain, you know, territorial dispute, which is impacting a larger national dispute, which is, you know, so. Right. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge fan of RTS. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and so am I. Um, I've how... said for a long time that the video game designers of today are the psychologists of tomorrow. I mean, we're figuring out why people do what they do and getting them to do more of it. Right. So so that and narrative like, is a huge part of that. Story doesn't rot. Right. You know. There was a and. And you, you hear about, I guess, video game stories from people you wouldn't expect, like, like Salman Rushdie, who is, who got super into Super Mario Brothers, as Gord was telling me. And he's given some interviews talking about, like, I'm really interested in Red Dead Redemption and how that game has a story, but also has all of these stories out in the world that are generated and 
players can choose to participate in those and forego the you know quote unquote main plot. Mm-hmm. So, or and and you also are having ga- like Gone Home. I don't right. know. Have you played Gone? Have you? Did you play Gone Home? It seems like everybody did. I did not. Okay, Go, like Gone Home was the the indie darling of the year, right? And it was just like a game where you walked around a house and sort of figured out what the story was based on stuff you read. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are those are I great. Know. I mean, I look at yeah. that stuff and I go, it's explorational. It makes you use your brain. It it is it cre- it it. Imp- it enlists you fundamentally in the narrative. Right. You know, that's, right. and that's amazing. And that game, that game came out of Bioshock. Like the, the guys who made the, like I mentioned earlier, Steve Gaynor was the lead on Bioshock 2. And Bioshock 2 wasn't the best game, but it had a really awesome DLC that was entirely environmental storytelling based on stuff that you found. And you could explore that or you could choose not to. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, there were there were those audio journals lying around, and if you read the stuff that was on the walls, you could figure out what happened in this little place. Right. So. And that's amazing. Oh. Have you yeah, have you the, ever? I'm I'm drawing a blank now on the name of this game. It was a little simple game done by a college student, and it was you basically walked from left to right. You could also walk down, but you you as you moved right. The game scrolled and you could not scroll back. Passage. Yes. Passage. See, that is a yeah, great example. Passage was a, a, what's his name? Jason Rohr. That game, Made when that it game. came out, man, it put me sideways. I mean, it's like, I looked, I showed everybody that game and was like, that's the power of gaming. He did something, he, he came up with an idea, I don't know, a year or two ago, actually, the same guy, uh, for Minecraft. For an alternate narrative-driven Minecraft experience called Chain World, mm-hmm. where you play Minecraft in the adventure mode with the monsters and turned on and everything, and you play for as long as you want and build whatever you want until you die. Right. And once you die, you take your Minecraft save file and you put it on a flash drive and you give it to somebody else. Oh, that's and awesome! And that person, that person then gets the world that you made. That is awesome! It builds like, on that. Yeah, and then they have to pass it to another person See, when they die. That's, that's beautiful. Right. That's the kind of stuff we need to do more of because that's the kind of stuff that brings us all together. Right. And so the, the debate that, the, that I guess sprung up around that was, is that a new game or is that just Minecraft? Uh, it, this goes back to that copyright, you know, thing. I, right. I think, right. I think it is a new game because I think at that point, you're the, the Minecraft. You're experiencing this weird world. It's like discovering ancient ruins. Right, and and Minecraft becomes secondary to the actual experience. Minecraft becomes right. uh, I've inherit like the main experience is I've inherited this thing. Right. And well, and also it. you know you're you're looking to build something that's cool because you know eventually it'll be for someone else. Right. And so there's a there's a far for me, that's like, a, I'll call it like a bigger calling. You know, it steps up the, the intellectual need in the game. And, and so, yeah, I guess technically in our legal, in our limited legal world, it's the same game. But, right. it, I mean, I, I would rather play that than Minecraft. Yeah, I'm, I haven't played Minecraft in years just because I got tired of it. I, 
I'm a I'm a big graphics guy, to be honest. I I, I hate to say it. I'm Marvel over DC. And uh I, I just I could never get into the graphics of Minecraft. As beautiful, yeah. as great as the content was, I I just I I got super into it because I had ten friends that were all playing it, right. so we all worked together to build stuff. Oh, that's awesome. But, See, but that's, it's that's not, the game then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's I, it's not an amazing single player experience. No. I mean it's um, cool. It's interesting. But yeah. And then you have and then you have things like Twitch plays Pokemon, which is creating <laughs> stories stories in a completely different way, right? Right. Uh uh, but that's I think that's closer to the procedural side than the bespoke side. Uh, yeah. There that's still going, I guess. I haven't looked at it. But Yeah, I mean even even here we, we have um we're working on a as we work on our we, we did a you know, we did a, a game for um we were doing a game for Dungeons and Dragons and for Atari when it went bankrupt. And it was a turn based tactics game based on the miniatures uh mm-hmm. for that and we're we're revamping that and we're making it hexes. And the first thing we did was create a procedural engine, right? And to, to right. build maps, the challenge you have there is sometimes those procedurally generated maps aren't fun. You know, right. It drops a unit in a place where you can't get off of or, you know, and you can fix all of that. But the fundamental right. layer is, is there where, yeah, we can build maps all day long. But right. what does the map tell a story? Does the map, you know, because we want that. Like, the environment should be part of the story. Yeah, the environment, you know, the environment can tell the story. Exactly right. I mean, you, you go into a, a dark, twisted temple, and that says something. You go into an idyllic glade, and it says something else. Well, that was, and uh, yeah, go, going back to World of Warcraft, that's what people liked before you could just fly over everything, was that you just discovered something, and something happened here yeah. a long time ago, and there's a temple here, and you can explore it, and maybe there's a dragon inside. Yeah, I mean, like, like, I remember when when I first started playing and I went into Elwyn, like, how familiar are you with the lands? Um, well, I I have played, like I said, I did all of the quests in the game, or most of them Horde side. Right. Um, I have an Alliance character at the level cap, but I didn't do all of the quests Alliance side, so I'm right. much more familiar with Kalimdor than, what's that, the Eastern Kingdoms in terms of what? Draenor, what, or, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but it. but I know I know where all the zones are. Right. So. But it was always just nice when you found like some secret little pocket of something that was yeah. like clearly intended to be something that they never fully fleshed out. Yeah, and that uh, almost you know, had its I own found, awesome quality. I found something like that. Found something like that today um, in Pandaria. I was just flying around, and on the side of the cliff there was like a little two little houses, and there were some dudes with hawks. Walking around up there, and they had the like their faction was people of the sky. Right. And I was like, what? What? Like, who are these dudes? Right. Exactly. And like they they had a little bit of dialogue, and they were I never ha- ever met them before, and they are unrelated to any quests, but they're just out there. I guess like pathing around where nobody ever goes, right. but but they're there because they're part of the world. And that's kind of interesting, right? I remember like there was this time where you where you would fly from Ironforge, and I know this is Alliance, but you would fly to, from Ironforge to Menethil. And mm-hmm. you would fly over this like airfield, like this gnome airstrip. And right. no one knew what the hell that was because there, you, there was no way to get to it. It had been cut <laughs> off from the rest of the world purposely because I guess they intended to do a bunch of quest arcs there and they didn't. Right. And so there was this gnome airstrip out there. And even in their failing to do quests there, it was kind of cool that it was there. 
Yeah. Oh, do you know all about the uh, the Karazan crypts? No. Okay, so you know Karazan, yes. right? Okay, so you know how not in the raid instance, but like next to it, there are those. There's that stairway down to like a dungeon with some ghosts in it. Yes. On the side. Yes. Apparently, below that, there's an entire other zone. Oh, wow. With like do with like metal spikes hang, uh, hanging from the ceiling, like hooks and skeletons impaled on them, and all sorts of really gruesome stuff yeah. that just never got used for anything, but they developed an entire zone, and people have been able to glitch down there and explore it. Oh, nice. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're, the Karazhan crypts are continually a thing that Blizzard gets asked about, like, what the heck is that? And they're just like, yeah, it was a zone that we were going to do something with and never did. Right. <laughs> but there's, there are like instance portals out in the world that don't go anywhere because they were going to do something with them and they don't. Right. They, they ended up not doing anything. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I heard that there's something similar to that with Ironforge. That originally Ironforge yeah. had a whole yeah, network of caverns underneath it. Yeah, uh, old Ironforge. Right. And you can get, you can get there now. Oh, uh, you can. Yeah, um, so I guess in the Cataclysm opening, uh, like the world event that they did before Cataclysm launched, right. um, Magni Bronzebeard did went down there to try and figure out how to save the world with some Titan spell and turned into a diamond because he was bad at magic, I guess. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, you can now go down there and visit his statue that is just him as a giant diamond. Oh, that's cool. See, yep. I love it when they do stuff like that, right? I love it like, you know, when I, I, I had a chance to sit with Mike a little while ago, Mike Morham a little while ago. Right. Well, I know you visited Blizzard recently, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So. Well, there there was one that I I took pictures of, and then there was the other one where like I was for more businessy related um, things. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about it. And I was like, you know, he's like, well, what would you do with World of Warcraft if if you if we handed it to you? And and I was like, I think the first thing I would do is just flesh out all the areas that aren't fleshed out. I mean, Stormwind is still half empty. You know, let's give all those all those buildings something to do. Stormwind is now a smoldering crater. Oh, is it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Deathwing landed there, and there is no more park. Okay, so there's a huge open... There's a huge smoldering crater where the park used to oh, be. the park was the probably the least useful part of the whole thing. Yeah, so they... And uh, for a long time, the front gates just had huge molten like claw marks in them, and they repaired those during Mists of Pandaria. The construction effort finally finished. Oh, nice. See, that's what but, I yeah. love. That's what I love about an MMO. I love the the opportunity to have history that moves forward, right? And the yeah, op- they they did something really cool with that in uh, the last patch of Mr. Pandaria. Um, so the the main the the both Alliance and Horde had a had separate faction hubs. It was they didn't have like a Shatrath, mm-hmm. but they were both in the same zone and right next to one another. Okay, and the zone was purposefully modeled to be just like the most beautiful zone in the game there were trees and flowers and butterflies and in the last patch uh oh, there were like giant statues left behind by the prior civilization the last patch uh garrosh dumped an old god's heart into the water there okay and blew the entire thing up and so it the enti- they created an entirely new version of that zone that is now just the permanent version of that zone all the quests are different um, the st- everything is blown up. The statues are destroyed. There are demons running around. And like, if you didn't play before the gate, the patch right now, you will never have seen what the zone was like for the first 
three quarters of Vista Pandaria. I love that. See, yep. I love and that. They were like, that. That rewards yeah. the that rewards the devout. Right, and it also uh, and it makes it feel like the world is a place. Right. And they said, you know, it was a huge task to redo the entire zone right after we had finished it, but it was worth it for the narrative. I think that's a great. I think when people do that. That's exactly the kind of thing that bespoke creation creates that you can't get any other way. Right. And what was really cool was uh, the reaction of the players. Like you went on the forums and there were, you know, 30 or 50 page threads about people going, I can't believe that they did this. And the Alliance players are all going, wow, the Horde really has to own up for what it just did. Right. The Horde players saying, this wasn't us. We're not, uh, like, that guy's crazy. We don't want to be associated with him anymore. See, and that's and like, when a game becomes something beautiful to me. That's right. when it blossoms into reality. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was real. They were like, they were really emotionally into it and talking from their characters' perspectives, even though it was just a message board. That's awesome. See, that, yeah. that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, I think that, you know, as, as much as I love RTSs, I think that nothing engages community more than an MMO. Right. I, I, I learned so much about how to, how multiplayer experiences can be crafted. Well, and even single player experiences. Like, you can, if you kind of filter away other systems, you can see each and every World of Warcraft system on its own. Right. And you can look at it and go, wow, fishing is really boring all by itself. And, I've done so much fishing. You know, and oh skinning is really boring by itself. And, and, and right. all of these things are kind of like, they're little mini games, but the way they're so well sewn together, the thread is what makes that powerful. Right? It's right. like, can you play the auction house forever? No. Is it fun to play for a while? Yes. But because it's all like a cable network where you can, there's always something else you can exactly, and it's different enough that it replenishes the reservoir for the original while you're doing it. Right, right. So it's like I'm bored with questing. I'm going to go craft. I'm bored with crafting. I'm going to go gather. I'm bored with gathering. I'm going to go auction. You know, and right, and the achievements. You know, they came late, but they help. They encourage people to explore the crevices. I'm currently sort of invested in a in an argument about whether Diablo 3 has skill has builds or not, right? Because there there are some people who are saying Diablo 3 doesn't have a build you, because you're not locked into the skills that you choose. Right. You can change them whenever you want. Uh, Diablo 2, once you picked your skills, that was it. That was a build. You are identifying with a character, and your character had real advancement in the way that it doesn't. So, which Diablo side of the 3. argument do you fall on? I, I fall on the side of it has builds because you can't change your skills while you're actively fighting something. So as long as you're in combat, you are locked in and your, your character is fundamentally different from another character. Even though you, if you, even if you're back at town and you have access to all the same stuff, as soon as you've engaged in any gameplay aspect, really, which is, cause that game is all combat, you're different. Right. Well, you know, whoever you're arguing with, use the Hearthstone argument. Because in many ways, Hearthstone's the same way, right? You're not locked into a deck, but in order to go play, you you have to create one and play it. 
Right. Right. And and yeah, that's that's an argument I'm having with uh with the the head of asymmetric publications with Mage Kingdom of Loathing. Right. Um, which is the game again that we we all play. Right. So well, and and I think that and, builds have less to do with the inflexibility of a skill set and more mm-hmm. to do with a composition of skills that people play more often than not. Right. I think his his argument is that a build requires some sort of permanent choice. No. In a way that it doesn't. No. I, I don't I'm with you. I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a mindset. Right? If you're thinking like, hey, I'm playing the Shredder Barbarian and the Shredder Barbarian has you know, is a package of skills which are freely chosen and fungible, you know, and changeable anytime. Right. But here's the package of skills that work together to create the synergy I want. So thus, when I want that character, I choose this whole package of skills. I think that creates a build in people's minds. And he's, yeah, and he, I don't think he's, he's not necessarily saying like the one is better than the other. The Diablo 2 system is better. Right. Uh, he's actually like something that he has said to me is, uh, you know, I, I actually like that Diablo 3 is different because I played Diablo 2 15 years ago. I would like to play something different. Sure. But I I think that if I had to choose one for my game that I'm making now, my, my hypothetical game that doesn't actually exist, right, right. I would definitely not want a, uh, the inability to change your your character's build because that feels bad if something changes. Like if I release a patch that changes the balance of something. Right. Well, I guess I gotta roll a new character now and spend another thirty hours leveling. Yeah, or, or the way they did it in Blizzard is every time they change the talent trees prior to you being there when, when they were talent trees, they just automatically devoided all they the refunded points. refunded everything, right? Yeah, and you could yeah. re respend those points. Yeah. Which I think also works. I mean, I think that can work too. Right, uh, but you could also go to town and pay to respect, right. right? In a way that you couldn't in Diablo 2. Like once you, once you made your choice in Diablo 2, you were locked in forever. Right. So since I have you guys both here and you've overcommitted thus far, so I, <laughs> I, I think I can get you to overcommit for another five minutes. Sure. So, so a debate that's been raging on here, and I, I will confess, I used to be full bore on one side of this debate, and now I am full bore on the other side of the debate, is um, it's kind of like the procedural versus bespoke. It's do you feel that a, let's call it an RPG system, an MMO system, whatever you want to, you know, a classic, I'm going to pick a character, he's going to get some skills, he's going to get some powers, and he's going to level up. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you would prefer to play a systems-heavy game, i.e., um, let's imagine a, a, an RPG where there are no classes, there are just skills, and you're going to get points, and you're going to be able to spend them in the skills. So you can have a rogue that fires a fireball, and you can have a monk that uh, uh, has stealth ability, and you can have a fighter that, that uh, can heal. Or do you feel that the creation of classes, the creation of hard and artificial barriers to the, and, and don't try to take the, I'm, I'm trying to, um, put both of them at their most acrimonious, so don't, don't, don't read mm-hmm. into anything. Um, do you feel that creating silos of uniqueness, uh, i.e., I have a skill and you don't, um, is better. Like, which one do you think is, is better at the extreme? All right. Lord, uh, you go first. This is similar to a discussion that we've been <laughs> having about this new game that we're making. Okay. Um, hmm. And I guess we're just still sort of halfway through that discussion. 
Well, it's, it's um, a tough discussion to have. There's, I guess, Path of Exile is a game that finds some middle ground. Uh, you start off as one of six or possibly more by now classes, and uh, uh, but every every class shares the same skill tree, and the skill tree is uh, almost spherical. <laughs> And uh, everything is connected in different ways. Uh, and choosing a class just determines where you start on that tree. So you could choose one class and then spend the first ten levels getting yourself to the point where you can start taking skills that were meant to be for a different class. Okay. So you can sort of cross-class. Or you can just uh, stick with the ones that are near your class that were meant for your class. Um... Mm, I guess KOL is an example. Um, there are immutable classes with their uh, their own unique skill sets, but when you beat the game, you can start over again and take one of those skills with you. So that it blends the line again. I guess where I'm coming down is uh, uh, in uh, blends of the two systems. Okay. So I guess for me... The- the, the way that this question fo- boils down is, uh, which system do you like better, World of Warcraft or The Secret World? Okay. Because The Secret World has no classes. Sure. Yeah, it's just whatever whatever you invest in is, you're, you're, you can invest in being a healer, and then if your party doesn't need a healer anymore, you can respect a fighter. Okay. And I think, of the two systems, what I found more satisfying is the more rigid class differentiation. Because, at least in an MMO, it promotes people playing different classes to cover all their bases in terms of what they need to be efficient. And it lends itself in terms of flavor to a more interesting world, I think, than one where everybody can be everything. But I don't... Want, I don't feel that a system where everybody can be everything is necessarily inferior, so it's difficult. <clears throat> I like I'm trying to think. I think that roles are very important when playing multiplayer games. Okay. I think like, that something they... that a rigid class system lets you do, and this is more of a story thing, is like you can build up the lore of that class, and you can get really into that character's personality, right. like being a paladin in World of Warcraft means something really different than being a warlock. Right. And I think that there's a lot, that that has a lot of inherent value. Okay. On the other hand, if you're the person who likes to write their own characters, having the freedom to develop your character the way that you want okay. can also be really meaningful. Okay. So I don't hear that so, much difference between you you said you were kind of having that debate. Yeah, well, I think the debate that we're having in our game, how, how would you describe it, Gord? Um, it's it's about how skills work, right? Okay. So whether so the the way that I that I want it to work is you can choose a class when you reach level five, and you can wait. Back up a step. What are you before level five? You're just an initiate a level. Like right. it's a you're, you're yeah you're your dude class. 
Um, and then you reach level five and it shows you, I don't know, one of three or four different classes to choose from in what will amount to a text-based cutscene. Okay. And you'll choose one. And that is, that is not a choice of every class. There will be secret classes that can be accessed via other methods, but those will be the first thing that most players see. Um, and every couple of levels you'll get a new skill. And then additionally, you will have skill points to put into trees. And that way you create a base set of skills for a class that every player who is that class will have, while giving some differentiation between players who might want different perks. When you reach a certain level, you will have mastered that class. And when you reach a higher level, that'll happen, let's say that happens at level 40. And then at level 60, you have the option of hurt, like, of, uh, like attuning yourself to that class. So that if you, and at any time, you can change your class, just whenever you want, but it will reset you to level 5. If you've gone to the, the, say level 60 and attuned yourself to a class, then you can, that it will let you keep one or two of the class's skills. It'll always be the same one or two. That's not a choice. You don't get to choose which ones when you go cross-class, but you can only be attuned to one class at a time. So you basically have your main class, and then you will be allowed to keep one backup class where you get a one or two of that class's skills. And whenever you want to change classes, it will require you to reset yourself to level 5 and start all over, even if you've done that class before, unless you have a very rare consumable item that lets you swap back to one that you've already completed without penalty. Okay. So that's a really complicated system. But that's, it, that's it sort of the way that, that's sort of the, the way that I see it working. And I feel like to, once you're playing the game, it'll be a lot, it'll be way more intuitive than having it just spoken out. I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, but that's, that's true of almost every system in a game. When it's done well, you, you don't, you don't sweat it. Like, right. even the most complicated, I mean, look how complicated the, at least, I don't know if they still are, but how complicated the calculations in Warcraft damage were. Right. You know. So I guess Gord wants something a little different, I think. He wants something where you have more permanence, you can keep stuff between classes okay. more freely, I think. Um, I think you want, <clears throat> Gord, you can probably speak for yourself more, more capably than I can. Um. I don't know. I've been thinking about it. Oh, does that mean you've come around to my side? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like like it, it, like it always is. He's got a is. secret he doesn't want to share. Yeah. Mm. That's a, like like you always do. Eventually, you'll see things my way. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm the uh, I'm the only person writing. Yeah, you're the only this, person so. who can program. So I am. I, you are. So yes, you yes, you're absolutely right. We're, we're, we're <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll implement it exactly like you say. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's good to know that it's not a, a fait complete out there. That it's like it has to be this way, you know, for for people to be interested. But I think I yeah, no, I think I do lean on the side of, you know, I used to be one hundred percent systems like that. GURPS, champions, hero system, you know, mm-hmm. point based. I can build whatever the hell I want. And I think the challenge that I that 
I've had over the years with that is when I implement systems like that, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't give, you know, like when you make rock candy, you need to have a string with a little washer on it. Right. It, it's, it's so that the crystals have something to latch onto. Right. I think a pure system based system doesn't give anything for the imagination of the player to latch onto. And when you, when you create something that has some narrative structure, I'm not necessarily saying it needs to be classes. I'm not necessarily, but some narrative structure that pre-exists and is, as you said before, illuminated by other texts, supported by uh, lore in the world, supported by history. And hold on, somebody's, somebody's. Uh, we'll do it tomorrow. Okay, we'll do it. To, sorry to keep you so long. Um, so somebody was just like, "Do you need me to stick around for screenshots? Because we're taking some screenshots of something today." Um, but, um, when you have something for them to imaginate on, I think it's more powerful. I think it, it lets them feel like they have a place in the world. It tethers right. them. That's, to... that's very similar to what I was saying. Right. About, exactly. You get that. And like, if you're a hardcore role player, you might not need that because you can just write your own story, but I don't think most people are. Right. And that's where I was. I was like, why do I need to be a ranger? You know, <laughs> it's like, why can't I just design a, the, the ranger I see in my head? Right. Like, ah, and I, I always, I, you know, uh, Paul, Paul and I used to be in, in a Pathfinder group that, uh, that eventually split up due to us moving right. all over the, all over the place. But like, I always played the same character. Like, I always played a bard. Right. And it was always the same bard because that was what I had fun doing. Right. And even if I had had the choice to do whatever I wanted and pick class, stuff from classes I ever want, I probably would have still played the bard, honestly. Okay. So, I don't know. I feel like that story is valuable in some way to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's an idea. Okay. Okay. So, every class has the immutable set of skills. Sure. And right. every class is different from every other class. Um, hmm. When you have mastered that class, you can choose one of those skills to bring forward, but it takes up that slot in your next class's skills list. So you can still mix and match, but there are still exclusions. Okay, so like, like you can take the level 10 skill, but then you don't get the next class that you go to use level 10 skill. Or you get to choose going into it. Okay. So you could collect all of the level 10 skills, but you could only have one of them at a time. Yeah. The, 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 the issue is how closely do you want to tie the theming of the classes to the narrative? Because, like, so our, our game is, our game is currently themed around Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. So, like, would it make sense for some, somebody who follows one god to be using the abilities of another? Because, if, like, wouldn't, if, wouldn't the god that they're following be offended by that? If he's earned the favor of the first god to the point where he's willing to... Right. Well, you also have to remember that some of the gods are in conflict. Mm, but that's true. typically, the Norse gods are a lot less jealous than the Roman slash Greek gods. Right. But, so, like, you, we're, we're going to have... We're going to have the ability to class into evil gods. So, like... Okay. Use it using Loki's abilities is not 
while you're following <laughs> Thor's path is maybe not the smartest choice. Sure. Maybe. Well, and also so, it doesn't. Yeah, you're right. It, there, there might be some exclusions because. Right. That's why I said we have to figure out how 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 closely we want the narrative to play into the. Yeah, just like it doesn't make sense to have a light priest and a and a necromancer running in the same body. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. A holy priest and, and a necromancer. Second. Like missing doesn't feel go feel good. This is another argument that Gordon <laughs> and I had yesterday. I want I want our game to have like a ten percent mischance when you try and hit an opponent. I would rather have a ten percent crit chance where you deal double damage or however much damage, and that could right. average out to the same. Like maybe regular hits deal right. And my a fraction my of argument damage. was well. Well, like sometimes, like your opponents aren't stupid. Sometimes they'll parry you or block you or dodge you or whatever. So, so at the risk of of, of spoiling where I'm headed, what if what if your miss wasn't a zero, but hmm. it was a fifty percent? Like, let's say, okay, so let's say it's a right. it's a D twenty. It does way less damage. Right, it, it's example. a D twenty. Right. Yeah, we and you, we discussed that okay. as well. Okay. Um. My concern was, what if we want to do a boss that has really, really low health but really, really high damage, sure. and then you're just and and high not nor- you were- right. So that he's but then you're just going to say right. But then if you always are going to do at least one damage, you can just say, well, I, I can like just this this fight is trivial because as long as I can live, I know that I'll win in twenty sure. rounds or whatever. This is a this so is was- a hotly contested debate because I'm <laughs> I, I used to be on the I want to miss. And I feel like I'm being swayed away from it. My, right. my, my argument was, well, it's not like I'm putting fumbles in the game where you do damage to yourself. Right. Like, would you rather have that? Right. But that's, that's a tough argument because you can always, you can always take the step further and say, aren't you happy we didn't do that? <laughs> right. And then, cause he could say, well, I want a crit chance that is 400% damage. Aren't you happy I didn't do that? And we'll just do crits to do 100% damage. What I do want, uh, which, Gord, I'm going to tell you this because I <laughs> thought of it earlier today. Uh, I want, uh, Change the specs crit, again. <laughs> yeah, if you crit, I want, I want it to be, this is just going to be a fun thing. I want it to be that if you crit and your crit kills your opponent, I want it to do like a, a hundred million percent damage. <laughs> like if, if that crit would have killed your opponent, I want to see like ten numbers. He blossoms into a, <laughs> blossoms into yeah, a big flower of a, blood. And yeah, you, that's the super slow mo killing. You get a uh, text game. You get an item in your inventory, which is that player name's skull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the thing, yeah. The the point. The thing about the thing about our game is that I, at least the way that I'm designing it, and maybe Gord not so much, um, is that I'm designing everything to be balanced around player versus player combat. Okay. Which means that there are a lot of cool things that you might want to do, but I wary about because I don't want them to throw off the balance right. of that. Like, items with random affixes are awful for player-versus-player combat. But missing because, is awful for player-versus-player combat because it's unpredictable. Right, but I think that there should be some randomness, Okay, but not not something like a player finds a player gets lucky and finds an item that rolls the best of every affix, and then they're unbeatable sure, forever. Sure, sure. There is some value so, to suspense. Right. Um, so that's why, like, I want the mischance to be pretty low, like 1 in 10 or 1 in 20, but I still want it to be a possibility. And I, because I want, uh, I want you to have a very high mischance against opponents that are way stronger than you. And that's how you know that maybe you shouldn't be fighting those dudes because you can't hit them and they keep hitting you. 
well, why don't you do it that way then? I mean, if that if that's really what you're shooting for. Right. That's well. That's why I want mischance to be basically zero if both players are if the play if a player and whatever they're fighting are at this. Yeah, same you point. have like a you have a deflection percentage based on level difference. Right. That's that's basically what I'm describing, but I'm calling it missing. Okay. And maybe maybe that's the wrong word for it because missing has all sorts of negative connotations to it. Well, it's not so much the the, the word missing that I, I think it's just when a player swings and he doesn't know what the result is going to be, and the right. result is dramatically different, i.e. I'm going to do 10 to 20 points of damage on this end, and I'm going to do zero on this end. Right. That, that's when they get like, they start blaming you for a bad play, not blaming themselves, right? They start looking at your system and saying, that system's broken. I got bad randoms, and I lost because of bad randoms. Mm. Right. That's, that, was Gord, that was Gord's argument. He was like, what about <laughs> the guy who, fi- who misses 50 times in a row? And my answer was, that's never going to happen, and if it does, sucks for that guy. <laughs> well, but if when you, but like, when you insert the idea right. that an even level battle, or even a level battle, a battle of one or two levels difference, still right. has no mischance, but then, hey, if you're two plus levels of miss, or sorry, two plus levels apart, there's this mischance, now you turn missing into a warning. Right, and I also want to do things like maybe one class has a really high dodge ability or something. Okay. So if, like, if you're in a duel with a player, and they are this particular class, then they will be able to dodge things at a higher rate than a player normally would be able to. Yeah, you just you just need to balance it. Yeah, because every player seeks what I call the moment of impunity, right? Where right. he is able to strike and not be hit back. Right. right. That is what That's, all players seek. Yep. You know? mm. and, and it's a in KOL. It's called safe moxie. Right. And if you give them that opportunity, they will. They will hunger for it like zombies hunger for brains. Right. I mean, yeah, that's what I did say. Um, I want a point where you will be safe from getting hit by an enemy unless that enemy rolls a crit. And then even if they roll a crit, it's probably just going to do two damage or whatever because they're way lower than you. But I like uh, I like crits being a 100% hit chance like they are in a in a and d and Pathfinder where like if you roll a natural 20 even on an enemy that you wouldn't normally be able to hit, right. you'll still hit. Right. I like that too. I think it's because, and, yeah. and and one is an automatic miss. I like that too. Yeah, and like because that I think that that makes for great stories, like the great players created stories where like I, I managed to roll a twenty on a tw- uh, and that was the only thing that I could possibly hit with, and I did. Yeah, David and Goliath. Yeah. Best Skype interview ever. <laughs>